We are the Riverside chapter of the Messengers of Recovery. We have chapters in Southern California and Arizona. We're a bunch of guys that either rode with the devil or chased him. We're the kind of guys that if you saw us in a crowd, you would think that if he can get sober, then so can I. We decided to throw our chip into the hat and talk about our recovery in the hopes that you can learn from this podcast that you don't have to use or drink even if you want to. We are not A-A-N-A-C-A-S-A and no one is from the damn D-A. Once a week, we hope to bring you the message of recovery from speakers, panels, interviews, and sometimes just a meeting. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to our webpage, www.riversidechaptermor.com. There you can listen to the podcast, ask questions or comments in our forum section, browse our support recovery t-shirts, or just find out a little bit more about us. That's www.riversidechaptermor.com. This episode was recorded at our Idlewild campout. The speakers are Guy, Lee, Nathan, and Maggie. Please excuse the wind as it was recorded outside. Thank you for listening. My name is Guy. I'm an alcoholic. Guy. Guy. My sobriety date is April 18th, 2009. I didn't pick that date. That date was chosen for me. I had to go to court that day. It was Friday. I got up that morning like I did every morning. I got up and I got high and smoked some speed and, and, and I went to court. I had to go to a probation hearing that day. I was supposed to go tell the judge how well I was doing and, and uh, he had a report saying something different. And needless to say, I didn't go home that day. That's how my sobriety day came to be. I did that that whole, you know, God get me out of this one, you know, prayer that we, that we do in the jail cell. And, and out of nowhere, some lady from the probation department or some such thing comes to my cell and says, hey, you've never been in a program before. You have lots and lots of arrests for, uh, for drugs and you've never been in a program. Would you be interested in going to a program? And I said, sure, whatever it takes to get out of here, you know. And, uh, and so I went in there and they sentenced me to a year at the Salvation Army. And that's, that's what I did. And I had to pay an escort to come pick me up from there and take me to the Salvation Army. And that's what I did. You know, I, I went to the Salvation Army in Pasadena. I wish I could say that, that everything was all hunky-dory and perfect from there, but it wasn't. I was in the first, I don't know, 45 days, 30 days of the program while I was there at the Salvation Army. And I was in a meeting and I was sharing about the fact that I wanted to go home and get high. And uh, I knew I had dope at the house and I was just gonna go home and get a little bit high and I was gonna come back to the Salvation Army because I had to be there for a year, you know? And uh, somebody said, suggested, well, why don't you pray about it and have ask God to have the session removed? And that's what I did. You know, I can't say that I, I know and I felt anything right then and there, but, but I, I did that. I got down on my knees and I asked God to remove the obsession to get high. And looking back, I, I can pinpoint pretty much about when that was, but uh, it worked. You know, it's been a little over 12 years. I haven't had the obsession to get high since, but at the same time, it allowed me to take the reins again, you know. And, and so because I didn't have the obsession to get high, you know, I, I could me and my ultimate wisdom thing i don't need to i'm in pasadena i don't need to get a sponsor i don't need to work the steps fuck all that you know because i i you know i'm good you know i got this and, and it'll be fine 
Seven months into my six-month program, I got kicked out of the Salvation Army. I was supposed to graduate at six months, but then they told me, no, you can't graduate because you have to be here nine months. And then I got kicked out of the Salvation Army. So because I had to be there, I went and checked into the other one in, in uh, Anaheim. I guess that's the one in Anaheim. And while I was there, I, I had an attitude problem. And, and at, that's, at that point is when I, I finally decided I, I might need to get a sponsor. You know, I was eight months into sobriety. I hadn't really worked any steps or any of that, you know. And, and I got a sponsor, and I got myself kicked out of that program. But, but having a discussion with this lady is when I knew that something was taking hold because I mean I had been going to meetings but I wasn't really working the program but as soon as I got a sponsor we got into the book sort of doing a few things but I, I had an attitude problem and I, and, and I had an argument with the counselor lady at the Salvation Army and this is when I knew I had changed because she after only talking to me for five minutes tells me you know why are you here and I'm like what do you mean why am I here I have to be in the Salvation Army for a year you know, and, and, and I'm checking into a sober a, a, a recovery program. I'm eight months sober. I haven't done anything for eight months. So, and she tells me, well, you haven't experienced enough pain. You know, you, you, you're not ready yet. And, and I was mad about that when she told me that. But then I told her, I said, you don't know me. You know, even if you kick me out of here, it's not going to make me want to go out and get high. And, and that is where I knew there was a change. Because the change before in my program, method of operation before was I would go to jail and it didn't matter. You know, I, I was going to come home and get high. And, and no matter what I did, it, it didn't matter. That was, that's what I was going to do. But at that point, I knew there had been some change. And so at a year sober, um, well, I was like nine months when I got, 10 months when I got kicked out of that program. And uh, my probation officer told me, yeah, just go li stay to sober living, you'll be fine. And at a year sober, when I had to go back to my progress report hearing, the judge says, no, you're not fine. I, I told you you had to do 11 months in Salvation Army and 10 months in a year at, at the sober living is not what I told you to do. Here's your 16 months in prison. And, and so at a year sober, I, um, I walked into the courtroom and I, and I turned myself in and I went to prison for the, got my third number. But it was different that time. You know, when you walk in to the court sober, with your sponsor and an AA big book in your hand and you go there to turn yourself in, they don't put you in handcuffs when they take you to the back. You know, they just walk you back there and, and I did that. When I got out, I, I actually got a different sponsor and I started working the steps and, and actually applying them in my life. And things have started to change. When I started working the steps with some, one of the interesting things when I got to six and seven my, my, with my sponsor and he was telling me about working on character defects, you know, and we, we're all, we all have our character defects and they, they like to define who we are, you know, and people always want to talk about working on their character defects and some that he said to me, I, I don't have that sponsor anymore, but he says, you know, is, is you can't work on your character defects because whatever you focus on is what grows. So if, as long as you can work on your character assets, your character defects will lessen. And that's, that's kind of what I try to do. Like I said, I've, I've been sober a little over 12 years now. I, I had the same job for nine years, right up until this, this last Wednesday, Tuesday. You know, I was on vacation and my job called and told me, you know what, don't bother coming back. You know, we're, we're having a layoff and, and so I haven't been home. So as of right now, I mean, yesterday, I, I, I'm dad has COVID, so I can't go home. I don't have a job, so I'm like jobless and homeless. and. You know what? It's okay. You know, I, I, I'm out here with my brothers, and I'm on my motorcycle, and I have job prospects, and and uh, 
I have a sponsor and uh, I've worked the steps. I've been through the steps a few times with a few different guys and, and life continues to get better. You know, when, when tragedy happens and events happen, I don't immediately think about going and drinking. You know, when my mom passed, you know, I, I remember I was at that job and it was a Friday afternoon. I just walked out of work with my paycheck in my hand and I'm going, you know, this is the first time I've ever had a job for a whole year straight where I paid taxes for a whole year straight, you know, and uh, and I was just walking on air and I walked out and then my dad called and says, you know, your mom just died, you know, and I went from here to there just like that. And uh, and I didn't think about drinking, you know, I, I did what I was supposed to do. I called some people and and, uh, and got through it and I went up there and helped my dad and we got through it. Life's all right these days, you know, I, I I'm glad the session's been removed, you know, and I'm glad to, to be an example and, and glad to be a part of the messengers and help spread the message. Anyways, that's all I got. Thank Thanks. you, Yeah, hi, this is uh, Lee. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Lee. I guess I'm going to share with you experience, strength, and hope or whatever. I've, uh, my uh, sobriety date is uh, November 18th, 1983. I've been around the program for a little while, and uh, I guess... Uh, well, it all started, uh, you know, when I was young. Yeah, I grew up around the construction trades, and, uh, you know, it was every day. It was uh, like at 3.30 in the afternoon or 4, whenever we got off work, the guys would sit around and uh, have some beers and uh, talk about what they were doing. This was setting up my denial system for later on in uh, my drinking career because, uh, as the old saying goes, it was, you know, 3.30 we'd have some beers, and then the guys would, uh, like my dad and a few of them, would go off to the bar and then, some nights we wouldn't get home till 2, 3 in the morning, you know. And so that pretty much turned into what I considered normal, you know, until uh, the, they started changing laws, and then I'd have to sit out in the truck and drink soda pops. But that's a different story. <laughs> anyway, I got up at about 17, I joined the Navy. And uh, then I found out what drinking and using was all about. I learned the wonderful world of chemistry uh, while I was there. You know, that's whenever I got started on, uh, you know, uh, the crosstops and acid and whatever else was available. You know, I got to be a regular uh, whatever you had kind of guy, you know. And But uh, drinking was my number one. You know, I got drunk in ports all over the world, you know. I was never that bad, though. See, that was my whole setup with the denial thing is uh, I got sober when I was 27, but from the time I was uh, 14 to 27, that was uh, the years I had a ball. I mean, you know, sometimes we'd be at sea for 30 days, and I thought it was only a couple of days, you know. <laughs> I've been sober longer than I ever drank, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about that, you know. Uh, when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, it was uh, one of these things where my wife, uh, my second wife, and uh, my uh, mother-in-law at the time, they took in... Uh, gathered me up and took me down to a place called Glendale Memorial Hospital. You know, they were trying to get me committed, as the old saying goes, because I was crazy. I'd been on a five-day run, and I was uh, dangerous to myself and others, you know. I went through this 30-day program, and it, it, it did me some good. I, it ruined my drinking. That's a damn fact, because uh, I took it serious. I, I did the, the work they asked me to do in there. I started doing my steps, but I wasn't quite ready at the time. So what happened was would get 30, 40, 50 days sober, and then I'd think I was well. And I'd try drinking again. And then, uh, of course, uh, I'd end up back in the holding tank. <laughs> I never went to jail for a long time. I never really got caught for the good shit that I done, stuff I done, but I sure went several times 
for days or two days, ten days, you know, nothing long term. But I was always a penny ante. I was just a drunk. I was a nuisance, you know. But uh, in the process, I'd wrecked like 10, 12, 13 automobiles. They all went to the junkyard. I went to the hospital. That was the kind of nuisance I was. And being it was back in the days without seat belts, I would always uh, hit something hard enough. I was either in the passenger seat or the back seat or something when they come to uh, gather me up so they couldn't prove I was driving. You know, so I ended up, I only had one DUI, you know, in my whole career. Once I got involved with Alcoholics Anonymous and I finally got sick and tired of being sick and tired and I got tired of wrecking automobiles and getting divorced and all that stuff. I found that getting involved, I wanted to know what, H, uh, what Alcoholics Anonymous was about, so I got busy with some H&I work, the hospitals and institutions, and then uh, my uh, wife or girlfriend at the time was also working with area committee and stuff like that, and being as I had the truck, I was the assistant. <laughs> you know, I'd take her to all the meetings, and I learned more the inner workings of Alcoholics Anonymous that way. Uh, through a bunch of volunteering and doing uh, different uh, things like that. I did H&I work for the first uh, 18, 19 years of my sobriety. I did like uh, the phones at central office in between uh, times that I was going to the jails and I was going to the inner group, uh, you know, where the different counties like L.A. County and Riverside County and San Diego County and Kern County would all get together and uh, compare notes and have a, what they called PRASA you know, Pacific regions meetings, and, you know, it was really great. It was a real good time in my life learning what Alcoholics Anonymous did. Later on, around, oh, 17, no, no, I guess I was 18 years sober or whatever, I ran into uh, this bunch of guys that ride motorcycles. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, boy, did life change. It was great. Well, my friends... I, I was always, you know, I raised up around horses and and, and cattle and, and, and stuff like that and raising rabbits and doing whatever, you know, it was all the country type uh, lifestyle on top of it. But uh, whenever, I always rode motorcycles from the time I was, you know, a mini bike when I was five, six years old up to, you know, graduated in motorcycles, but uh, never really that lifestyle until I met the Messengers of Recovery. My b- good friend, uh, Eric, uh, was uh, riding with Messengers of Recovery. Another friend of mine, Wayne, he was riding with Messengers at two different clubs, same name, pretty close, you know, but his Messengers only is Yellow Messengers, we call them, because their color, main color was yellow and black and ours was orange and black. But uh, anyway, I started riding with these guys and, and, and through the love of motorcycles and riding around the country, the name of our club is how I started doing a lot of my service work. It was, uh, you know, amazing. People would come up to me, oh, what's that mean? You know, the Messengers of Recovery. I said, well, we're a clean and sober uh, motorcycle club. We're, you know, we don't use drugs or alcohol. Oh, wow. And then, well, I've got two years sober. I've got 20 years sober. Or my cousin's sober. You know, it, it, it brought up a whole new topic of, uh, you know, that I wasn't used to the first 20 years of my sobriety. Yeah. Oh, shoot. It, it's been an adventure. I've been all over the country. I've, uh, you know, riding my motorcycle and going to these different campouts and different motorcycle functions, you know, like Sturgis and Lucodia, Hollister, you know, just you name it. I've been to Daytona now and I've got a bunch of states under my bike, you know. It, it's been a great time. 
living life on the road. Yeah, I am so happy that I have a, a, an understanding wife. We Back in our early sobriety, we had planned on doing all this stuff, running around the country. She ended up with uh, the COPD and on oxygen, so she can't get out like I can. And um, so she lets me go, you know. And sometimes it takes me a couple, three weeks to get back home, sometimes a month. But, you know, in the process, I wouldn't have had any of these opportunities or any of this without my involvement in Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous. You know, I, I played with all of them, but that all breaks down to one thing, you know. I stay sober today because I surround myself with sober people. And, um, you know, it, it, it's just a lifestyle that, you know, when I was riding and, and doing all that cowboy uh, stuff, it was no different than this uh, motorcycle I found. It's, it's all about respect and love and staying sober and, and interacting with other sober members. You are who you hang with, in my opinion. You know, when I was staying in the bars, I got drunk. Whenever I, I hang out with... Uh, Sober people, I stay sober, you know. But it took a lot of work with the steps to get there. Um, I don't want to diminish any of that, but I just kind of gloss over that. You know, my first few years around here, the work was done. I had to, uh, you know, get through the steps. And then when I started living the steps, that's when my life changed. And that's when I started noticing that life is good. You know, I have, you know, you have regular life problems, but... You know, I ain't drunk, I ain't in jail, and I ain't got stitches in my head one more time because I hit the windshield, you know. That's the, the main deal about it. And uh, what I'd like to end with is that I am real glad that Bob and uh, Bill come up with this uh, idea because if it was just me and uh, Larry, we never would have come up with it. We would have been sitting at the bar going, one day I'm gonna, and today I'm doing all the I gonna's, you know, instead of being sitting there on the bar stool, so... I thank Alcoholics Anonymous, and I thank my uh, club for, uh, you know, letting me do what I do here. I appreciate being the opportunity to tell you guys about it, and thanks for that. All right, Lee. Yeah. Uh, Hi, I'm Nathan. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is uh, October 11th of 2015, which puts me just shy of six years. Well, not just shy, like a month. Exactly. I've worked all my steps. I'm currently working through them again. And what it was like, I, you know, kept getting in trouble when I was younger, and then I'd stop for brief periods of time. <clears throat> and you know, it never, it never stuck. I never stepped foot in the rooms. Um, I always just was, you know, not one of those guys. Uh, I used to take a lot of my friends to rehabs and meetings and stuff when they get, you know, caught up in all this stuff. It finally got to me, you know, I. I <clears throat> went through some bad times in my life. My business wasn't doing well. Lost my house. Just was, you know, slowly getting worse and worse. And kind of like our literature says, you know, every time we quit, there may be brief periods of sobriety and it always gets worse, never better. And every time it was worse that made me quit. You know, first time was a month, second time was five, and then this last time, you know, it, it stuck. It was, it was being on house arrest, it was facing criminal charges, it was, you know, possibly losing my family and uh, at the time I had a wife and three kids a business a house it was all gonna be gone and uh, so I set foot in the rooms and and I stood up so my name's Nathan and I'm an alcoholic and and it was like a weight was lifted from my shoulders you know I 
I'd finally kind of gotten to where I, I needed to be. <clears throat> Not with the people I ever imagined myself hanging out with. When I was younger, I didn't do that great in school, so I couldn't really hang out with the smart kids. I ran cross country in high school, so I wasn't a football jock. So I went with the kids at party. And then when I couldn't run anymore, I went with the kids, the burnouts that didn't, you know, they, they drank and smoked weed and did all kinds of other stuff. And it was kind of always a fit in thing. You know, if I could drink and, and fit in at a party, I could talk to girls. If I could talk to other people, if I could save the world somehow, if I was doing other substances, I could figure anything out. And I had these great ideas and I was always smart. And, you know, um, life was going bad. I had some way to numb it. Life was going good. I had some way to celebrate it. Life was going normal. Then I had a way to celebrate or numb or whatever that, you know. And when I got sober, I had to do house arrest. So I had to put myself on a schedule, which was something I had never had to do before. You know, not had to do in a long time. You know, life got better. I worked hard. I did everything I was supposed to do. And life was getting better and in about six months I hadn't gotten a sponsor yet. I was like, you know, maybe maybe I'm not an alcoholic, a real alcoholic. And I had a buddy of mine in a meeting say, you gotta go to this book study and you'll find a sponsor there. And I and I walked into the book study and I saw this kid that or guy, whatever, he's older than me, that I used to go to church with as a youngster. And he remembers when I was real little. And he was there and he had been struggling in and out and in and out. And, and it was like every time I'd turn around and go into a meeting, I'd see somebody, my wife's cousin or somebody I knew from when I was in grammar school or, you know, growing up with another friend of mine from first grade, we were friends. Fortunately, the guy that I met in that meeting, I found out last year, he didn't make it. You know, he wasn't one of the ones that, that came back. You know, as, as time's gone on and being sober, I've lost people and one thing I never did is never went back to drinking and using. A lot of that has to, I mean, everything has to do with this program, but a lot of it has to do with the way that our program is taught and, and to have a higher power and, and know that there's something else and know that we have tools. And by going through the steps, you learn these tools to handle things like that, you know. I had a lot of people calling me when my wife's cousin <clears throat> passed away, who was in and out of the program as well, on my second birthday. She committed suicide. I had people calling me to make sure I was okay. And I, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I was just an outsider, but everybody was worried about me because they knew that I knew her from the rooms as well as growing up, you know, essentially with her. You know, and then every time I turn around, a new blessing would come into my life and I get frustrated in life and no blessings come. I sit back and I let go of the reins and blessings start to come. And a couple years ago, I decided to move my family 45 minutes outside of where I grew up and the pandemic hits and I'm like whatever I have to be of service there's no meetings and I end up meeting the messengers and starting to ride with the messengers and I had my recovery in fact the day I met him we essentially had a men's meeting for about an hour in this camp you know my life has just completely changed since then my my wife fully support it, supports it my kids love it I had a fourth child in, in sobriety that I've gotten to see and, and be present for all the different things that either I forgot or really wasn't present for with the first three kids. The, the biggest blessings I think I've gotten in recovery, or I know, are those relationships with my children, with my wife, the same one for 18 years. I get home and it's not like I'm 
looking for them and they're afraid on what, what mood I'm going to be in. They're, they're there. They're coming out to the truck. They're trying to open the door. They want to see me. They want to tell me about their day. They want to hear about my day, you know. And uh, that's something that you can't buy. You can work your ass off your whole life, have all kinds of money in the world, but you'll never, you'll never be able to buy that kind of, of relationships with your children, you know. Um, I was raised similar to that. I had pretty good relationships with my parents. Uh, and I took those relationships and I, I try to maximize it. I try to make it better with my kids, do more stuff with them, everything I can. You know, balance my life properly, have time for myself, my wife, my kids, and my club. And, you know, and my recovery. And a lot of times it gets one-sided and it starts to hurt. And recently right. it did. And I had a club brother slap me back into submission. And, you know, it was like my, my program got that much stronger to this point. I, I couldn't ask for anything better. I mean, I get to ride motorcycles with these guys that, you know, I probably would have hung out with doing bad shit back in the day. And now we hang out, we ride motorcycles, and we do good stuff. And we help people, and we support recovery. You know, our, our, our area is to support recovery, and that's what we do. If somebody has an issue, we all come together and we go help them out. Somebody outside of the club, just in recovery, needs a 12-step call. We do a 12-step call. And it's a brotherhood, and it's a family that <clears throat> I always wanted that I never thought I could have. Um, I never thought I was good enough or cool enough or had enough money or anything for and by just doing this program it's all just kind of come to me without even trying I don't know I think that, that the best thing to do is get a sponsor to your steps great things come it's not always going to be rainbows and unicorns but you know that's what life is about and we, we lose that when we're drinking and using because we have a way of of numbing it by doing that kind of shit. And it's, it's not gonna be like that, but you're always gonna have somebody there. You're gonna have a support group, you're gonna have tools, and you know, you're gonna have your higher power, and that's what's gonna get you through. So that's all I got. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Nate. Hi, my name's Maggie, and my clean date is September 11th, 2002. Today is my 19th year clean. I started off with well, I mean, clearly I went to jail for lots of things. Uh, and I got out and child services had my kids. And they were seven and nine. And all I wanted was my kids back. And I didn't want to be nice to people. I didn't like women. Um, I just wanted my kids back. I didn't want to be anybody's friend. I did the court dates and I did the stuff. And... I got a sponsor because they told me I had to if I wanted to stay clean, but I still wasn't trying to be anybody's friends. I just wanted my kids. I went to court and they told me that, you know, Miss Stapleton, this isn't a joke. And I'm trying to do jump through all those hoops. And um, I didn't end up getting custody of my children back. Um, they lived with their dad and his wife and they were well taken care of and I got to see them when I wanted to and I was okay with that and then typical teenage crap they would go back from my mom to their dad my mom to their dad you know but I got to spend time with them and that that's all that really mattered it was a trip though before you know going back to when I got clean is uh, when I went to jail for manufacturing um, 
it was the first time I, I prayed to a power that wasn't a bag of bottle or man for help and I ended up being offered I think my first offer was like 11 years I finally admitted that I had a problem and I was able to do a year in a treatment I haven't found it necessary to relapse like I said I started this just to get my kids back and when I didn't get them back it had to be for me um, I wanted to be a better parent to them because I thought that I was a good parent because they had everything they wanted except for a mom who was emotionally available um, I met a wonderful man he had this little girl and she was this beautiful little red-headed girl and I thought she just needed some love and some guidance and the next thing I knew I was pregnant again and we had my kid or we had his kids and my mom was diagnosed with cancer and I moved up to take care of my mom and their dad was murdered and I ended up with my grown children and my stepchildren and my one of my own and um, they're at my house today we all live together I have all my grandkids in my house I have one, another one due um, my husband did pass away he didn't take this program seriously and he didn't work his steps and he didn't do what he was supposed to do and um, his demons won. Um, so if you're struggling today um, to stay clean and thinking that the world's a better place without you in it, you're wrong because you're loved. I miss that man every single day. Cancer took my mom and I'm still here clean. I have my kids even though I never got custody of them back um, we all live together to make it work in this crazy world and um, I have a grandson and a granddaughter and another one due in November and I'm very much grateful for the program of Narcotics Anonymous for saving my life um, so thank you that was it for tonight from the messengers of recovery Riverside make sure you tune in next week